series of the volume of the book. And I just want to make sure that we understand where we are kind of in the timeline of things. So you remember in Genesis 1, God, God creates, and according to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, he turns that kingdom over, puts in the stewardship of a guy named Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covers it, but he sins and he falls, and because he falls, everything becomes an absolute wilderness, and God starts over and creates Adam, and then Eve and puts Adam in charge, but of course in the garden they fall, and they lose the image of God. They pass that fallen image on to, to us. And God promises in Genesis chapter three and verse 15 that there's gonna be a promised seed as Jesus Christ, that what you find through the rest of the Old Testament is God is choosing and laying out the lineage for the promised seed. You finally get to that in the book of Matthew, which Lord willing, we will get to by the end of this year. That's, that's the goal um, to... Maybe the Christmas season, we'll get to the book of Matthew. That'd be perfect, wouldn't it? That'd just be perfect. And so, um, but, so you're following the seed line and, and so it goes to Noah and then we went from Noah to a man named Abraham. You see about, read about him in Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham has a son named Isaac, right? And so we're, we're landing here with, with Isaac and we're gonna focus in on Isaac and his relationships and his relationship with God, his surroundings. But here's the thing about Isaac. There's not a lot said about him in comparison to Joseph, in comparison to Jacob, in comparison to even Noah or even Abraham. There's not a lot said about Isaac, and yet he plays a huge role in the seed line and, and, and following through with the promise that God gave Abraham. And so this is a very practical passage, and I pray that it ministers to you. All right, so chapter 25, I want to jump in in verse 5. Well, why verse 5? Have you looked at verses 1 through 4? There's a whole lot of names. So we're going to stop, jump in in verse five, right? So verse five, it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. Now there's a, there's a lot going on in these next couple chapters, and we're not going to be able to dive into everything. We're trying to get a bird's eye view. And the, so the first question I have for us to consider is, are you excited about God's calling on your life? Now, when I say God's calling, I'm not talking about a job. I'm not talking about a career. I'm not talking about a relationship with somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's calling for to be a disciple of Christ that is going to make disciples for the rest of your life. That is the calling of God. So are you excited about that? And I would say there's probably some people in the room say, yeah, man, that's, that's, what, that's my jam. That's what I'm about. I've laid down my life. I put myself all in. I'm all about the Lord. I'm, I'm, all, I'm really excited about what God's doing because what you find is that Isaac, at this point of his life, is literally pursuing God's calling. Are you pursuing the calling of God in your life? Notice Genesis chapter 25 and verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Why would he do it? Because he has Ishmael, he has other children, but he gives it to Isaac. Well, Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, let me just remind you of that. It says, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God told Abraham back in the day, he said, okay, your child Isaac, that's the lineage. I'm going through him. And so Abraham makes sure he separates everybody from him in verses five, five, six, seven, and eight. Right around there. All right, so let me give you some advice. If you are excited about God's calling, if you are interested in pursuing the calling of God, let me give you some advice. The first thing is this, focus on getting equipped. Focus on getting equipped. Notice in verse five, God or Abraham gives all that he has unto Isaac. And that's a beautiful picture for you and I as, as believers in Christ. Because Isaac receives everything that his father had. And guess what you get? You get everything that your father has don't you? Am I the only one in the house today? All right, I, just, I, I need y'all to, to be with me this morning. All right, so just as Abraham gives everything to Isaac, God the Father does the same for his children. He does the same things for us. And so what you're going to find is, is that Isaac gets the responsibility. He gets the covenant. He gets the blessings. Guess what we do? We get the same thing through discipleship. So first, first Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you received of us, how you ought to walk in to please God, so ye would abound more and more. There's this responsibility that you and I have of taking everything that God's given us, giving it to somebody else. 
that we were giving as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God. So ye would abound more and more. There's a point where Abraham says, okay, I can't do it anymore for you. Isaac, you got to go. Here's all I have. You take it, you run with it. And what's, what's amazing is Isaac actually does that. So he gets the responsibility. He gets the covenant. He gets the blessings. But he also gets what's necessary to accomplish the tax. He gets the gifts. He gets everything. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. God makes us able ministers, doesn't he? Of the New Testament. We become able ministers of the New Testament because God does that. So we get equipped through discipleship, but also we get equipped by spiritual gifting that God does. You can read about that in Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you want to go any more deeper into those things. But we receive the gifting necessary to accomplish the task. So if God has called you, and I got news for you as a believer in Christ, he has, then you should be excited about it. And if you are excited about it, then my first piece of advice is get equipped. Submit to discipleship. Get discipled. Let somebody take their walk with God and invest it into you. Discipleship is not a group of lessons. It's not a set of lessons. Can I get an amen? It's an exchange of life. Get equipped. And then tap into how God has gifted you individually. He's made you an able minister. Well, I just can't do it. No, no, no. You've been made an able minister. He's gifted you a a specific way. God has gifted Levi completely different than he's gifted me. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine a bunch of Tonys running around? Can you imagine a bunch of Levi's running around? Talk about snooze fest, man. No, God, God gifts us all separately and differently, but he's enabled us for the ministry. All right, so advice number two, look over here in verse 11. It says, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac, notice this, dwelt by the well, Lehi Roy. Remember, that's the well that he was standing at when his bride came. When he met Rebecca, he's standing by the well. He's a man of the well. All right, so here's, here's the next advice then. Focus on staying hydrated. Listen, if you're really excited about the things of God, you're really excited about what God's doing and God's calling in your life, then get equipped, but you need to be by the well. Let me just give you some insight. The well equals the word of God. You need to be tapped in to the word of God, spending time in the word of God hanging out there. Isaac chose to dwell. He chose to live by the well, Lehi Roy. Does anybody remember remember what that name means, Lehi Roy? It literally means the well of the living God that sees me. It's the well of the living God who sees me. That's what the name of of this well is. And so he's dwelling literally in God's presence and in God's provision. And if you really want to tap into the calling of God in your life, then dwell at the well. Truth? Hang out there. Get into the word of God for yourself. If all you're getting of the word of God is this moment every single week, you are anemic and you're dying of thirst. You are dehydrated. You need the word of God in your life. All right, so how about this? Psalm 1 verses 2 and 3. Psalm 1 verses 2 and 3 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. What was Isaac doing when he met his wife? He was meditating in the field by the well, Leheroi. You ought to meditate in the the day day and night. I'm not talking about sitting on a mountain with your hands like this and saying, oh, right, oh, meditate. No, you were in the word of God. You were studying the word of God and you were considering what you read throughout your entire day. You are digesting, you're meditating on it. Well, then what are you like? Well, you're like a tree that's planted by the waters by the rivers of waters, flowing water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His life also shall not, or his leaf shall not wither, that whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Listen, if you're not in the word of God, you will never tap into everything that God has for you. Amen? It's not possible. It's not possible. Listen, we've been uh, doing a series on Wednesday nights. We're going to bring it to a close this Wednesday night on why the King James. I've really enjoyed that. I've had a lot of people message me about it and they're, they're enjoying it. Oh, well, well, praise the Lord. But if you remember what I said at the very beginning of that, our goal is, isn't necessarily even to discuss why we use the King James Version. Our, our goal is to, to 
give you an appreciation for the Word of God, to let you know that you have access to God's Word and that you will access it. And so I think naturally what this needs to roll into is eventually getting into how do I have a quiet time, right? How, how, all right, so you're telling me to get in my Bible, but I'm, I'm having a, every time I read my Bible, I feel like I don't get anything from it. Well, that, that's spiritually discerned. You're not going to get anything in the flesh, and so you need to dwell by the well and let the, let the Word of God get into you, but maybe we're going to teach you how to get into the Word of God for yourself. All right, so we'll, we'll give you some more conversation about that soon. But So stay hydrated. But here's the third thing. Focus on becoming fruitful. Focus on becoming fruitful because Isaac is married. He's dwelling by the well of Lehi Roy. He's desperately desiring fruit. Why? Because he's been married for some time and his wife can't have children. Look over here in verse, verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. All right, so a couple things here. If you're really excited about what God wants to do in your life, if you're really excited about this calling, all right, so yeah, get equipped. Stay hydrated, stay at the well for yourself. But thirdly, you gotta be praying for fruit. You gotta be desiring fruit. So what does he do? He prays for fruit. What does that mean? I'm praying to see, to sow opportunities, to sow the seed of the gospel in the lives of people. I just had somebody tell me this morning, I just had an opportunity to share the gospel with my neighbor. Well, praise the Lord. That doesn't come without prayer. And so prayer opened that door, the opportunity to sow the seed of the gospel. And guess, listen, I understand the audience, but notice he put feet to his prayer. Y'all with me on that? He, He prayed for fruit and then he had to do what it took to bear fruit. And so that's what he did. And so he and his wife came together and she conceived at the end of verse 21. So focus on becoming fruitful. And that sounds great. Now listen, if you're really excited about what God's doing in your life and God's calling and you feel like you're tapping into it, then man, those those things right there. Get equipped, stay hydrated, pray for fruit and do what it takes to get fruit. Dwell there and succeed for the Lord. But I'm betting, I'm betting there's some people in the room and I used to be, I used to be really excited about the things of God. I used to be excited about the calling of God. But things have been a little bit frustrating lately. I I feel like things aren't going the way that I would like them to. Well, then let me give you the next point. Here's the next question. Are you understanding God's calling on your life? Are you understanding God's calling on your life? Because there's a lesson to be learned here. So he's prayed, he's asked God for his wife to be able to have children. Sure enough, they do what it takes and they have, they have uh, she becomes pregnant. And here's the problem, verse 22. Verse 22. And the children struggled together within her. So not only is she pregnant, it's twins. There are children inside and they're struggling together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. Stop. Listen, as you mature, as you grow, as you get equipped, as you dwell by the well, as you, as you pray for fruit, as you grow, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna end up coming to the Lord at some point in time and you're going, why am I like this? What is going on inside of me? Why do I feel like there's a war happening inside of me? That's gonna come. And there's a lesson to be learned there because they have twins and you're gonna find out soon that they're definitely not identical. There's some cray cray stuff happening here. So they're definitely not identical, but you have two sons wrestling with any, with, with inside of the womb. And what you're gonna find is they have completely different body types, completely different manners of life, completely different interests, different dwellings, different desires, and different directions in life. You're going to realize some things as you grow in the Lord. Now check this out. So 40 weeks has gone by. It's time for, it's time for baby. And when her days, verse 24, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. 
that weird to anybody else? He's like, oh, I'm gonna have been praying for a baby and I've been praying for a baby. I've been praying for a baby. And then men, they just like rock them, sock them in, the, in their belly. And it's time, finally time for her to be delivered. And the baby comes out and it's like, cousin it. If you know what I'm talking about, right? Red all over, hairy, covered head to toe in hair, red all over, by the way. Very first time you find the word red in your Bible. Very first time you find the word hairy in your Bible. And then they call his name Esau. You know what Esau means? Rough to the touch, you think? Rough to the touch. You're going to find out in chapter 27 that it was so rough that he could pass off his goat's hair. You ever pet a goat? That's the type of hair he had. Talk about only a mama could love a baby like that, right? Oh, he's so cute. Don't you lie. He's red all over like a hairy garment. That's messed up. All right, verse 26. And after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Don't go without me, right? So it was, here comes Esau, here comes the baby following after holding on to Esau's heel, right? And, and his name was called Jacob. Now Jacob's name means heel catcher, means supplanter, means swindler, means used car salesman. That's Jacob. That's him. That's who he is. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. All right, so now it's been 20 years since they got married, 20 years and here comes the babies. And the first one comes out red all over like a hairy garment. And the next one comes out as a used car salesman. What are we gonna do, man? Because Jacob lives up to his name. That is for sure. Now, here's what happens. Check this out. Verse 27, and the, and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. In other words, Jacob was smooth. He was, the, this word plain literally means uh, perfect. You find it translated that way in Job chapter one, verse one. You'll also find it translated as the word undefiled in Song of Solomon. So he's a plain man, but he, he dwells in tents. Now read verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. By the way, the first time you find the word venison in your Bible. But Rebekah loved Jacob. What do we have here? So now you have two twins. They're not identical. They definitely are completely different. One's a hunter. One's hanging out in the tent. One, one's taking care of the sheep and the goats. One looks like a sheep and a goat, right? So, I mean, they are, it is a mess. But here's the problem. Because now you also have two parents. You have two parents, Isaac and Rebecca, that are struggling with the destructive sin of favoritism. There's favoritism now within the home. And as you read the next few chapters, it, favoritism destroys Esau. I mean, absolutely destroys him. And what you find is Isaac prefers Esau because of what he does. And Rebecca prefers Jacob because of his demeanor, right? He's a mama's boy. Jacob, he's a mama's boy. Esau, he hangs out in the field and he makes sure that dad always has meat in the fridge, right? And so there's favoritism happening in the house. But remember the question that, he, that she asked, why am I thus? Was to inquire of the Lord? And the Lord says, okay, you need to understand something. You've got two nations inside of you. You've got two manners of people in, inside of you. And listen, as you grow in the Lord, you need to understand this. You've got two manners of people inside of you. You have war going on inside of you. All right, so let's look at this thing doctrinally just for a moment. Here's your next point, is that God explains that there are two nations inside the womb. There's two nations happening here. And what the, we're, this is an issue of federal headship. He says, okay, you got two nations. The first one is Esau. Esau is the head of a nation called Edom. Now, I wish we had time to get into all this. I'm just gonna give you the goods. You can go study this out for yourself. So Genesis 36, verse eight. Genesis 36, verse 8, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And so Edom, um, he hangs out in the Idumean desert. That's where Mount Seir is. That's where Job was, the land of Uz. That's where the, the nation of Israel runs to. Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, during the tribulation period, they run to this area. So the Mount Seir, 
Esau is Edom, but then Jacob, he's the head of Israel. And you find that in Genesis 35, verse 10, where God says, no, your name is no longer Jacob. He called his name Israel. You see that in Genesis 35, 10. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. The nation of Israel, that name still ring a bell today? Became a nation again in 1948. It gets its start way back here from Rock and Sockham in the womb. That's where it gets its start. So two nations are happening. But now, this is important, because there are two nations, two matters of people. Remember the story is always about the seed line, isn't it? So God has to make a choice. God chooses that the seed line does not go through Esau. It goes through Jacob. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Now you're going to have a group of reformed individuals. You're going to have a group of Calvinists that are going to take this passage and try to tell you that, look, God picks and chooses who gets saved. That's not what the verse is teaching. This passage is teaching that God is picking and choosing the lineage for Jesus Christ. Everybody with me on that? This is not God picking who gets saved. This is God picking the lineage of Jesus. That's what's happening. And so the elder is going to serve the younger. That does definitely happen. But, all right, so, man, we can't get into this. But can we just go to verse 29 for a moment? Verse 29. Jacob's going to live up to his name. Now, we're going to unpack this next week, Lord willing. Verse 29 says, And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Then Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, or Red. He got a nickname. What's your name? Red. I wonder why. Because he's red all over and he likes red meat, right? So verse 31, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Say what? Remember the firstborn gets the blessing. The firstborn gets the birthright. Then Jacob say, oh, you hungry? Sell me your birthright. You can just hear, just like scraping the bowl. There's a waft of smells coming in. And he's just like, he smells like the field. He stinks, right? But he's hungry. He's like, oh, and, and notice this, verse 32. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And, and what shall this birthright, what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob says, swear to me this day. And he swear to him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils and he did eat and drink. He gave up his birthright for a slice of bread and a bowl of lentils. That's what it was. So he eats and he drinks and he rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, so amen. Lord willing, next week we'll get into, get into that. But, but write down this reference, Genesis chapter 27, verses 25 to 29. If you could just write that reference down, because that is also where Jacob comes in and he steals the blessing. No. Whew, that's a crazy story. We'll read about that. I mean, he puts on a costume he smells like a goat. I mean, he does it all right, and he steals, he steals the blessing. Now, here's, here's the lesson I want you to get out of this. The seed line always goes through the second birth, never the first birth. God always goes after the second birth. Ye must be born what? Again, you must be born a second time. It requires a second birth, and that is where the birthright, and that is where the blessing is found. It's in the second birth. Sure enough, that's exactly how it plays out through the rest, rest of your Bible. All right, so God's explaining that there's two nations. Let's, let's take it a step further. Let's go a little bit deeper on this because we're still asking the question, okay, we're understanding what's happening here. Well, here's the next point. This, this picture's a believer that's torn between our two natures. Because as a believer in Christ, if you are saved, then you have two natures. You have a fleshly nature and you have a spiritual nature, right? So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. That's who you used to be. That's your, that's your flesh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
that you put on the new man. So put off, put on the new man, which is which, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so Esau is a picture of the old man nature. Isn't that interesting? Because Isaac, his flesh, prefers Esau because of how his flesh gets satisfied. So remember Isaac and Rebekah, they're together, they are one. And so they are a one married couple, they are one. And Isaac is a picture of the flesh and Rebekah is a picture of, of the spirit. And she prefers Jacob because how she's able to relate to him. And so Jacob's a picture of the new man. Esau's a picture of the old, Jacob's a picture of the new, Isaac in the flesh, Rebekah in the spirit. And that's you. And that's why as you mature in the Lord, there's times where you're just like, I am tore up from the floor up. I am so messed up here. I want to do right and I can't do right. And I, and, and I don't want to do this. And that's the very thing I do. And man, I'm a mess. Why? Because you've got an old man and a new man nature. And your flesh desperately wants the old man and your spirit definitely wants, wants the new man and you're at odds with each other. That's why there's a war going on. That's the lesson. All right, but there's another picture here. Because here's the next point is that this picture's two types of believers. It pictures two types of believers. Now Esau is a picture of a believer who's focused on worldly things. I want you to go back here and go with me to verse 27. And the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man, what's the next phrase? Of the field. He's a man of the field. Doesn't say he's a man in the field. If you went back to chapter 24, I think, Isaac is walking in the field and he's meditating on the word of God and he's, he's hanging out by the well, but he's in the field. But Esau's a man of the field. There's a difference between in and of, isn't there? Now, Matthew 13, verse 38, Jesus reminds us that the field is the world. The field is the world. In John chapter 17, verses 16 to 18, listen, listen to what Jesus prays. They are not of the world they, he's speaking of his disciples, those who are walking with him, those who are following him, says they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through thy truth. That's the word. That's the well. That's where you get clean. Thy word is truth. And then he says this, as thou hast sent me into the world, that's the field. Even so have I sent them into the world. Listen, we are not of the field. We are not of the world, but God has sent us into it to make an impact, amen? And so that's exactly what Jacob's doing. He's in the field, but he's dwelling in tents. You see that in the end of verse 27, he's, he's dwelling in tents. And so Jacob's a picture of a believer who's focused on spiritual things. He's a plain man, a perfect man, an undefiled man. He's a smooth man. He's dwelling in tents. In other words, he has nowhere to lay his head. He has no permanent residence. Well, isn't that interesting? Because 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judge according to every man's work, look at this, past the time of your what? Sojourning. We're gonna come across that word again here soon. Past the time of your sojourning here in fair. In other words, you don't belong here. You're just passing through. It's my favorite hymn, right? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the, uh, somewhere beyond the blue. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear the beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. When you became a believer in Christ, you immediately became a stranger. You became a pilgrim. You don't belong here. You are not of the world. You are not of the field. You're to dwell in it and to be in a tent. And what is that tent? It's you, man. You are the tent. You are the tabernacle of God. You are the temple of God. That's who you are. All right, so we're excited about the calling of God. That's great. But as you grow, you're going to learn some things. You're going to understand some things. Well, this ain't easy. There's some, there's some drama happening inside of me. That's right. You, you are flesh and you are spirit. You have war happening inside of you. Why am I like this? Because you're flesh and spirit. But here's the problem. Instead of getting victory, here's the next point. We frustrate the calling of God. Are you frustrating God's calling, of you, of God's calling in your life? Now, can I just get practical and see if I can relate with anybody in the house? Have you noticed how 
having children changed everything? Isn't that true? Having children changes everything, man. You thought you had peace. I, I remember the moment we were on our way to the hospital, right? We we're getting ready to leave our house. My wife was getting ready to be induced with our first child. And I remember in that moment, now we better take a picture because it ain't never going to be the same after this, man. I remember that. Belly sticking out. We took the picture, and it was, man, ain't nothing, ain't nothing the same after having children. So let me just practically give you a verse to maybe minister to you. First Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen, an often misunderstood verse, but a very important one. Notwithstanding. She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. What are you talking about saved in childbearing? I can't get saved by having kids, can I? If so, sign me up. No, it doesn't work like that. Salvation is not always salvation from your sin. This is salvation from yourself. This is salvation from a lifestyle totally given over to serving children instead of serving the Lord. And you all know, you know a parent who's like that. As soon as a baby came, as soon as the child came, it messed them up. No longer serving the Lord. Everything is only about the child. Now listen, your job is to raise that child. Your job is to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But if you're not careful, you'll get lost in your childbearing years. It says, if they continue in faith, if who? If she, if he, no, if they, if they. It's his job to lead. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All right, so Isaac and Rebecca, had, they have kids. Whew. There's a lot of drama happening with Esau. There's a lot of drama happening with, with Jacob. And it changes everything about their home. It changes everything about the trajectory of their life. So then let, let's practically, let me give you this passage then. This passage is James chapter one, verse eight. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And sure enough, that's what happens to Isaac. He becomes unstable in all his ways. Go to chapter 26 and verse one. Chapter 26 and verse one. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Remember? Now, that word, Gerar, that place, means churning, it means rolling. You ever said, Man, my stomach's just kind of churning. My, my stomach's kind of just like rolling. That, that's the word, but it adds the word hill, hill. So Gerar means churning or rolling hill. That's what it means. In other words, no place to dwell, no, no place to settle. Nothing's flat. Nothing's ever easy. It's always tumultuous. That's where he goes. So if you're frustrating the God's, God's calling in your life, let me ask you this question. Have your physical desires become your priority? Have your physical desires, your physical situations, your physical limitations, figure out whatever word you want to put in there, have they become your priority? Because he heads in the direction of the world because of a famine. Remember, he's hanging out by the well. But he needs food, he needs substance. And so the temptation is always to run to the world to solve our problems. I just need to work harder. I need to put in more hours. I need to do this. I need to do that. I'm having a hard time making ends meet. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. So what do we do? We run to the world instead of the Lord. And it becomes our number one thing. That's the only thing we focus on is our physical situations. I've got to do more. I've got to get more because I've got to provide for my house. There's nobility in that, isn't there? You should be providing for your home. The problem is it consumes him. So much so that he leaves the place where God told him to be. He leaves the well. He puts the word of God away. He leaves the presence of God. He puts that away. And he runs to another king. He runs to Abimelech, the same guy that Abraham went to. All right. So if they do become the priority, here's what a lot of believers do. They play the game. Because check this out, verse two. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land. What word? Sojourn. There's that word. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, 
and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed, I will give all these countries. I will perform the oath which I swear to Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, it kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. What happens? Well, God steps in and says, hey, you need to understand the big picture here, man. I know you're hanging out down there. I know you're going down there because you're hungry. I know there's a famine in the land, but I want to make sure that you have the big picture. And here's the game that people play. Here's the next point. Have you maintained a spiritual perspective? Have you maintained a spiritual perspective? So my fleshly needs are my priority. And yet I'm still going to church. I'm still reading my Bible every day. I'm still getting discipled. I'm still engaged in ministry. I'm still doing all those things. And yet that's all secondary to my physical needs. And I'm just being honest with you. Many believers, that's where they dwell. They dwell in the land of Gerar. They dwell in the land of a churning, rolling country. That's where they dwell. I'm chasing my physical needs. That's all I think about all the time. And yet at the same time, I keep it a spiritual perspective. I'm still plugged in. I'm still doing my thing. I still have a big picture of what God wants to do in my life. And yet I'm not doing any of it. I'm frustrating the calling of God. And this is where a lot of believers are. This is where a lot of them dwell. So then you get to verse six. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He didn't sojourn there. He dwelt there. Here's your next point. Have you chosen a life that is torn between your physical desires and your spiritual calling? And you're frustrated, man. Maybe there's others frustrated with you. Maybe you've got a spouse that's frustrated with you frustrated with you because you're trying to do both. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to figure out this physical stuff. I'm maintaining the spiritual perspective. I'm doing both, but I'm never getting ahead. I'm never accomplishing anything. I always feel like I'm spinning my wheels. That's Isaac. And that's a lot of us. Now, here's a sad verse, verse seven. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, And he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say she is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she was fair to look upon. He understood. My wife is beautiful. And these guys are going to want her. And if, if she's my sister, well then, they'll let me live. But if she's my wife... They're going to kill me. All right, there's a lesson here. Here's 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 your point. Have you placed a greater value on your life than on your family's? Have you put a greater value on your life than on your family's? Isaac chose his life over his wife. That's what he did. Why? Because that's what his dad did. His dad did the exact same thing. But he chose his life over his wife. And I know what some of us are thinking. I would die for my wife. I'm sure you would. But will you lay down your livelihood? Will you put your life on hold for her? Or do we put a higher value on my wants, my life, my life instead of my family? Be careful. He wasn't willing to die. He definitely wasn't willing to sacrifice. He's not willing to lose his identity. He's not willing to give it all up. He wasn't willing to do it. And I'm telling you, when I see the calling of God in my life and I get excited about it, and I begin to learn some things, I understand there's a war happening. It's not long until I frustrate the calling of God, and here's where it always ends up. You trying to do you. You trying to become the best thing that you can possibly be instead of what God's done for you and what God is wanting to do in your life. And who pays the price? Men, 
it's usually your wife. Ladies, it's usually your husband. It goes the other way too. It goes both ways. But our family pays the price and we choose satisfaction over family. Dangerous territory. Now, here's the great news. Can I give you good news? Because he figures it out, man. He figures it out. So verse eight exists, and I love it. Verse eight. And it came to pass when he had been there, what's the next phrase? A long time. It took him a hot minute to figure this out. It took him some time to figure this out. When he had been there a long time, check this out, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. That's a Bible word for saying intimacy, right? So here's what Abimelech looks out and goes, if that's his sister, then we need to have a chat, right? Because whatever he's doing, you don't do with your sister. You do that with your wife. And so he comes to him and says, uh, I thought you said she was your sister. Well, technically in the long story, yeah, she is my sister, but really she's my wife. Well, why would you do that? Because I wasn't willing to die for her. That's why. Look at this, look at verse nine at the end. And Isaac said unto him, because I said, lest I die for her. At least he owned up to it. At least he figured it out. All right, so here's your, here's your next big point. Are you embracing God's calling on your life? Because he figures this thing out. He moves forward. He moves forward here. Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, verses 13 to 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just a calling of God in your life. It's a high calling. Higher than any other calling on this planet. It's a high calling. And if you truly say, okay, there was a time where I was excited and I learned some things, I understood some things, but the war was just too strong and I know I frustrated the calling of God. And then maybe that's where you are. You're in a spot where you're frustrated in the calling of God in your life. And can I just say this? Embrace it now. Quit worrying about what it used to be. Quit worrying about your past and let's move forward from here on out. Amen? This is where we get victory, all right? So how do I do that though? How do I do that? Well, here's the first thing. Prioritize your marriage. What? I thought you were gonna tell me to read my Bible. Nah, it's coming. Prioritize your marriage. It says after a long time. Isaac finally chooses his wife. What do you mean he finally chooses his wife? Abimelech was able to look out the window and see him with his wife. You know what that tells me? He's no longer hiding his marriage. He's no longer hiding it. It also tells me he's not afraid of PDA. It's also what it kind of tells me, right? There's some PDA happening. That's public display of affection for those of you who don't know. So he's into that a little bit. Okay, well, that's interesting. But his pursuit of his wife was now evident to others. Are people able to look at your life and understand that you are pursuing your spouse? Can they look at your life and go, wow, that guy is pursuing his wife. Wow, that lady is pursuing her husband. And I know what some of you are thinking, but I'm not married. Okay. Are you thinking about getting married at some point in time? Are you? Because if you are, then prioritize that too. Don't be cheating on your future spouse now. Don't do that. Don't do that. And how about this? I, well, I was married. I'm no longer married. He passed away or she passed away. Celebrate those moments you had. Never stop telling those stories. How about this? Do what Titus chapter two says. Invest in those who are still figuring it out and teach them how to be good husbands and how to be good wives. God taught you some stuff in marriage. Go teach it to somebody else. But prioritize that marriage. And I want you to, listen, I'm not trying to be crass here, but you gotta get this. This involves intimacy. 
Intimacy must be involved. His intimacy with his wife was so evident that it was evident to others around. Now, practically in the give you Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. Listen, God uses a lot of euphemisms, right? He says, you're thirsty, go get a drink from your wife or from your husband, not from anybody else. Amen? That means no porn. That means no neighbor down the street. That means, all right, so drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters, don't let it get stagnant, man. It should be running waters out of thine own well. Whose well? Your well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad. In other words, it's evident. People can look at your life and go, wow, there is something up with that marriage. They're pursuing each other and it's evident. Rivers of waters in the streets. It should be, it should be known. I'm not telling you to go tell everybody what's going on in your home. That's not what I'm saying. It should just be evident. All right. Now quickly, let's, let's land this thing. Look at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants and the Philistines envied him. So don't just prioritize your marriage. Here's the next point. Decide to grow. Choose to grow right where you are, right now, right here, right now. Listen, if you choose to sow spiritually, God's going to bless you spiritually. I got news for you. That's how it works. I'm just, Tony, you just don't understand. I'm in a spot where I'm a mess. I can't get anything going. Then how about you stop going? Just stop. And just to start to start growing. So, okay, this must be where I'm at. I'm going to move forward from right here. And I'm going to start sowing the seed of the gospel. I'm going to start making disciples. I'm going to start fo- focusing on the calling of God that God's given me. And I'm going to watch God give the increase, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm just going to sit back and let him do it. And sure enough, that's what happens. He grows immediately. He just decides to grow. And God gives him more than he can handle. Well, praise the Lord. But then here's the next point. You better expect opposition, man. Because the world's going to get jealous of your growth. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. They envied him at the end of verse 14. And the Philistines envied him. And you know what they did? They were so mad. They went to all his daddy's wells and they caved them all in. They shoved them in. Filled them with dirt. They took all of Abraham's wells and they stopped them and filled them with, filled them with earth. Listen, the world is going to get upset as you grow and as you mature in the Lord, as you become fruitful, they're going to do everything they possibly can to take your access of water away. They're going to do everything they can to keep you from the well, to keep you from the word, to keep you from being hydrated. And then you know what you're going to do? Verse 16, they're going to tell you to leave. They're going to tell you to get out. Go from us, this says in verse 16. They're going to make sure that you don't feel at home. Oh, praise the Lord, because I shouldn't feel at home. This is a sojourning, isn't it? I should be dwelling in tents. That's a win. That's an absolute win. All right, so what does he do? He leaves. So here's your next point. Separate when it's necessary then. When it is necessary, separate. When they say it's time to go, Leave. Separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. There's a time and a place where you just can't do it there anymore, okay? Separate. Now, let me close with this. We don't have time to read all this. But in verses 18 to 33, we don't have time. Isaac begins to dig new wells. And so he digs this well in verse... Verse 18, he digs a well. Verse 19, um, sorry, verse, 20, verse 19, they dig a well. Verse 20, the herdmen, all the Philistines herdmen, they come and they take the water. They said, no, the water's ours. And he called the name of the well, Isaac. That name Isaac means strife. So he moves on, he says, fine, you can have that one. He goes and digs another well, verse 21, and he names it Sitna because they came and they oppose him. And that's, guess what that means? It means opposition. 
Well, then he goes and he goes to a place called Rehoboth. Rehoboth means Broadway. It means open road. It means street. So he digs this, he digs this one and, and he calls it Rehoboth because God's made a way for him. And so he dwells by the well. And to get over here to verse 32, because Abimelech comes back. He says, hey, can we have a chat? Um, I want you to do me a favor, Fave. I haven't treated you very right, and I just know that you're, there's a temptation for you to not treat me right. Can we go into a league with each other that I'm not going to hurt you and you're not going to hurt me? And can we, can, we do it? can we dwell in peace? And Okay, well, yeah, let, let's do that. And so sure, sure enough, that's what, he, that's what he does. So he names it, verse 33, Sheba. He names this new well Sheba, which literally means to seven thyself, to oath, to, to make an oath, to seven thyself. You know, they would say things seven times, and it was, they would, Cross my heart, hope to die. That they would seven themselves. But then the name of the place is called Beer Sheba, which means well of an oath. Now I go through all of that to just say, here's your point. Name your wells. Name your wells. What's, what's the well? It's the word of God, isn't it? Let me tell you, there's been times where I've encountered strife like Isaac. There's been times in my life where I've encountered opposition, just like Sitna. There's been times where I've seen God's provision, just like Rehoboth. And there's been times where I've encountered God's presence, just like Beersheba. And I could take you to passages like Luke chapter 13, where God provided a way to know this is, where God, this is what God's will is to move my family back from Texas to Iola, Kansas. Luke chapter 13. I could take you to Judges chapter four, where God says, no, I'm going to provide you a broad way. I, I'm going to make your path straight to leave Iola, Kansas, go down to Texas. I could take you to Judges chapter four. I could take you to Colossians chapter four and verse 17, where I've named that well, my life verse, because that is where I dwell with the Lord, because that's where he met me in my darkest time and he provided a way and he showed himself faithful. That is my well. Name your wells, man. Do you have a passage of scripture, passages where God has spoken to you, you can just go to, and that's the well you go to, man. Quit frustrating it. Embrace the calling of God in your life. Prioritize, prioritize your marriage, man. Prioritize it. Grow right where you are. You're gonna experience opposition. Yes, sure enough, you are. Expect it. Separate when it's time, but please do this. Dwell by the well, man, and name it. Name your wells. That's my advice to you. We did it. All right. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for ministering to me. I thank you for how it may have ministered to, to your people. Lord, uh, you're so faithful. You're continually speaking. You're continually moving. You're continually guiding. Even at times where we frustrate the calling of God in our life. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, as we go our separate ways, Lord, not to be men and women of the field, but Lord, as we go into this world, as we go into this field, Lord, I pray that we'd be like Isaac of chapter 24. Lord, that we would go into the field and meditate. Meditate on the things that we just learned in chapters 25 and 26. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the high calling of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.